This morning's text is found in Psalm 71. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. Or in a Bible in the pew pocket in front of you if you do not bring your own. Psalm 71. And this is the prayer of an old saint. So I want to encourage you to listen and to see how an old saint prays. Psalm 71. In thee, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In thy righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline thy ear to me and save me. Be thou to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For thou, O Lord, art my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon thee I have leaned from my birth. Thou art he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of thee. I have been as important to many. But thou art my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with thy praise and with the glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and see him. For there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise thee yet more and more. My mouth will tell of thy righteous acts, of thy deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will praise thy righteousness, thine alone. O God, from my youth thou hast taught me, and I still proclaim thy wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, till I proclaim thy might to all generations to come. Thy power and thy righteousness, O God, reach the high heavens. Thou who hast done great things, O God, who is like thee? Thou who hast made me see many sore troubles, wilt revive me again from the depths of the earth. Thou wilt bring me up again. Thou wilt increase my honor and comfort me again. I will also praise thee with a harp for thy faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to thee with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to thee. My soul also, which thou hast rescued, and my tongue will talk of thy righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disgrace who sought to do me hurt. Let's pray together. Lord, my deep desire in these weeks together over these words of yours 
is that old and young together might dream. A unified dream of ministry, of mission, of power. Lord, be pleased, I pray, to instill in all of us right thinking and right affections concerning the hoary head and the aged year. Open our eyes now to your teaching and incline our hearts to your mind. Transform us where we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think the generation gap is all bad. I don't think the Bible tries to obliterate the generation gap. I think the Bible wants to uh, cause us to recognize it and teach us how with very special ways of respect and honor to cross it. At Bethlehem, we have a lot of older people and a lot of younger people. And we have some people in their 40s and 50s who sort of like to think that we have our foot in both boats. And I believe, as I've reflected on the issues of recent days, the span vote, which I'm sure was in large measure a generational vote, uh, I've been thinking a lot about what to say to a church that has a lot of older people and a lot of younger people. And I believe the Lord has, has led me for these three weeks to talk about the issue just straight up. What does the word say to older people? What does the word say to baby boomers and teenagers? And what does the word say about getting along together? The outline, of course, as I hinted earlier, is today the title is The Prayer of an Old Saint. Next Sunday, the title will be Do Not Say I Am Only a Youth, Jeremiah 1. And then the third Sunday will be The Young and the Old Will Dream Together. From Acts 2.17, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And I want to put the word together at the end of that verse. And then we'll get together out on the blacktop there on the 10th and talk about the future together in this city. Well, today I want us to talk about the upper end of the uh, age Spectrum. I think the Lord is calling us at Bethlehem. In fact, I think he's calling all Christians to explode some stereotypes about old and young. I think we ought to ask ourselves, as older people, is the message of the pension plans and the retirement communities and the insurance companies God's message? To me, is the message to people over 65 today that comes from heaven the same message that comes from the world? That's a very important question. Another question for the younger end would be, uh, is it of God that we have become acclimated to the expectation 
that adolescents will be excessively style conscious, moody, indifferent and self-centered? Or in both these cases, have we just as a church, as American Christians, just sort of gradually accommodated ourselves to the lowest common denominator of expectation of what you can get out of a youth and what's possible for the old. And just quit expecting that Christ might make a difference from what is generally expected. So I think what we need to do is take the Word of God, blot out the other messages for a while, and ask God, what's your word to the older? What's your word to baby boomers and teenagers? Is there a different kind of life that you call us to than what the world might call us to? And I hope we can make some progress in looking at the scriptures together over the next weeks. And I hope that you will get excited that God's way of seeing things is very different than what we generally see. So let's think about the upper end today. The world is getting older. It's also getting younger. Next Sunday, I will bring you some statistics and global figures about the phenomenal explosion of youth in many countries. But today, I want to focus on the other end of the spectrum. The more developed a country becomes, the older people get. That is, the longer they live. Today... The country that has the longest expectation, life expectation for men, is Japan. And that is an average of 75. The country with the lowest life expectancy for men is Afghanistan at 37. And in between those two come Guinea, where Faith and David are, at 39 years. And Ethiopia, where Wally and Tani are, at 40 In Cameroon, where Steve and Julie are, at 49. India, 56. Poland and China, at 67. The U.S. at an average of 72 for what we men manage. The women always live longer on an average. In the United States, 210 Americans become 100 years old every week. Over 65, there are 56,000 Americans who get married every year, and 10,000 over 65 divorce. In the next 35 to 40 years, the over 60 population is expected to triple, at least. And I said earlier, I don't think the gap that is created is bad. And I'll try to explain why. Let me begin with a word from Paul to Timothy, the younger Timothy, although don't get the impression he was in his 20s. In all likelihood, Timothy was in his 40s because the Greek word, the only clue we have of Timothy's age, besides Paul addressing him as don't let anybody respect your youth, is it said that... uh, uh, I don't forget that. I'm off on the wrong tangent. The clues for his youth are right there in the text themselves. Don't let anyone despise your youth. But the word youth 
can be used of anybody like from 20 to 40. So we don't know how old he was, but he was young. And Paul was saying this, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. That's First Timothy 5.1. Now, if Paul had wanted to obliterate the, the generation gap, he wouldn't have said that. He would have said, Paul or Timothy, be sure to treat the old and the young exactly alike. Which he did not say and which he did not mean. We ought not to treat the old and the young exactly alike. Treat older men like fathers, younger men like brothers, older women as your mother, and younger women as sisters. If we do away with the generation gap, pure and simple, we will nullify important scriptures and make them impossible to obey. I want to illustrate this with another text. It's in Leviticus 19, and I'd like you to turn there with me because this is one of the main verses we're going to look at before we get to the psalm. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 19. And while you're looking that up, let me outline where we're going this morning and tonight. Uh, I have three things that I want to say to older people this morning, and they rhyme. So that we can all remember them. And I'm going to quiz you when you come back tonight, see if you remember them. Uh, I only have time for two of them this morning. We'll take up the third tonight and then go on. Older people, number one, are to be prized. Older people, number two, are to be mobilized. Older people, number three, are to be evangelized. Point number one, then. Older people are to be prized. Leviticus 19 Verse 32. Good, you're with me, I hear it. You shall rise up before the hoary head, means gray hair, and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. In other words, there are tokens of respect and demonstrations of honor that belong to an old person just because they are old. It's the sign of the times that I'm sure many younger people today, ill-bred as we are, would say, Why? It's not a good question, but it has an answer, and I think the answer is God created them in his image and caused them to bear his image a long time on the earth, and that's enough. He created them in his image, and he caused them to live bearing his image a long time. On the earth. 
I think it's very important not to lose the generation gap. This text commands us younger ones not to stride presumptuously and carelessly and thoughtlessly into the presence of an older person as though we were crossing no important gap of honor with nothing to be done of any special nature different from anyone else we might run into. It says, you shall rise up before the gray head. You shall show honor to the face of an old person. And, and a better question than why would be, all right, how? Let me give you some old-fashioned answers, because I can't think of anything but old-fashioned answers. And that's probably because there's old-fashioned wisdom. Number one, by respectful postures. I say ill-bred because breeding is not even popular among parents today, let alone children. Postures. I don't let my boys slouch during devotions. Sit up. It's God's word. Sit up. We're about to pray. Fold your hands. Quit leaning on each other. There are postures that say, I respect your presence. And there are postures that say, I don't give a hoot about your being there. Second, respectful forms of address. I doubt that it is wise for children to call adults by their first name. Without a title. Uncle. Jimmy, Uncle Johnny, Aunt Mary. That's why the old-fashioned custom of giving a man who's not an uncle the name uncle. He's so endeared, you don't want to call him Mr. Jones, but he's an adult. He's older, and therefore respect is in order. He's not one of my playmates. And so Uncle Jimmy or Jones, or whatever. There's sort of a scale of intimacy. Third, respectful deference in sitting and standing. Fifth, respectful clothing. The way you dress when you go to an older person says something. It doesn't mean that there's a necessary right and wrong in what you were wearing before and what you wear there. You, the question you ask is, what would communicate to this person that I respect them? I want to honor them. The text says, honor the face of an old man and fear your God. Now, I think that little phrase, fear your God, means... These old-fashioned means of showing respect and honor are not arbitrary or accidental. They are rooted in God. They are rooted in reverence for God. There is a direct correlation between a person's humble, quiet, meek, trembling reverence before God and that person's disposition to humble themselves and reverence the old or not.
We live in a day where people my age and younger are not the least disposed to show respect to anybody, including the old. It isn't part of what we've been taught or what we've wanted to learn. And I think there's a very direct connection, very close connection, between the little view my generation has of God and the foreignness of the, the idea of the fear of God and our disinclination to be deferential to older people or anybody else. Ask yourself this question. If God has become your buddy, are you likely to stand when an old man enters the room? And so I think we have to learn, my generation and younger especially, have to learn the fear of God. To reverence God, to tremble before God, to humble ourselves in all meekness before God. That's why this verse ends, fear thy God. Because if you fear God, it will have spin-offs for reverence towards others, including the older. Older people are to be prized for God's sake. And anything at Bethlehem that implies disregard for the elderly. Anything that implies that with the diminishing of strength, there should come a diminishing of honor is wrong and should be changed. The way to treat elders is a test of faith, therefore, isn't it? It's a test of faith. It's a test of how you relate to God. Another illustration of this is 1 Timothy 5 again, where Paul says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn their religious duty to their own family and make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And then it says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, prize them, care for them, especially their own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of how we reverence God. Old people will be prized as they ought to be prized when God is prized and reverenced the way he ought to be prized and reverenced. Now, this has implications, of course, for the older people, too. They exist for God. They're to be prized for God's sake. And that leads us to the second and last point this morning. They're to be mobilized for God's sake. Now, I want you to turn to Psalm 71, if the one that Brad read. Because uh, while we're not going to look at it in detail until more tonight, there is one verse in this psalm that is of extraordinary implication for mobilizing older people. And while you're looking, let me tell you a few more things about aging in America. At the turn of the century, that's almost 90 years ago now, at the turn of the century, people in this country spent 3% of their lifetime in retirement. Today, people spend 20% of their lifetime on an average in retirement. Two-thirds of the workforce in America retires before 65. 
And according to the report that I read yesterday, of the people over 85, only half report any disability. Now, you see the, the implications not only for having a lot of people to prize and care about, but a lot of people to mobilize. The biblical implication, I think, is very clear, and it can be most clear if we look at verse 18 of Psalm 71. I want to encourage the mindset that retirement is for ministry. Here's an old man. There's many struggles, and we'll look at some of these tonight. But what a heart he has for the future. As he cries out to the Lord in verse 18, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me till I proclaim thy might. Till I proclaim thy might to all the generations, or to this generation and to all to come, thy power. Now, do you, do you see that word, until? Don't forsake me. I've got a goal to accomplish for you. That's the mentality of this verse. Don't forsake me because I'm not done yet with ministry. I've got a goal to achieve. That's why I want you to be with me in my old age. My father turned 70 last January. And uh, he was supposed to have his second hip surgery on Friday. They botched the first one. Or maybe it wasn't the doctor's fault. Maybe it just came loose. At any rate, it's loose and it kills him. It's off. A little rod goes. <laughs> and so I call him early Friday morning. And my stepmother answered and uh, said, uh, can I speak to Daddy? And she said, well, uh, he's not going to have the surgery. They found a severely infected prostate gland. And you can't go in there with this infection in his body. And he's in tremendous pain. Prostate's killing him and his hip is killing him. I said, well, where is he? And she said, He's downstairs recording messages for the Philippines. <laughs> He's got this little little study downstairs. Downstairs recording messages for the Philippines. My father said to me once, I can remember, I was just a little boy, made a walloping impact on me. And I've heard him say it numerous times since. He said, Johnny, I don't ever, ever intend to quit preaching. And I pray regularly that I will die in the pulpit. And if he doesn't die in the pulpit, he'll die at the typewriter or the microphone. I think that's the spirit of verse 18, don't you? The spirit that says, oh God, I'm getting old. Please. Don't forsake me. Stay by me. Give me what measure of strength I need to do. Something. I think what God wants from Bethlehem is this. A whole company of older people who say this. Well, 
My society says that my profession is over at 65. God says my ministry is over when I die. Therefore, from 65 to 95, I'm on full-time ministry call. That is not the message that you will get from the retirement plans or the pension plans or the communities. There is a whole sloth industry for seniors in this country. A whole industry built to teach people to spend the last two decades of their lives playing into eternity. It's not good. It's not of God. God calls people from 65 to the last breath to ministry. Now, I know that uh, you cannot minister the same at 70 as 40. In my dad's prime he preached upwards of 300 times a year and was on the road eight months out of the year. He can't do it anymore. But he can sit in that study with a broken hip and an infected prostate and record gospel messages for Mindanao Radio. He can write at his typewriter every day to young Christians in South Africa and Nigeria and India. He can form a little organization called Ragma to distribute literature where he can't go anymore. He can dream just like Acts 2.17 says old men are supposed to dream. I met with Noel in 1985 over in Cameroon, another woman. Her name was Olive Shell, and she was a linguistic specialist, and she happened to be 76 years old, and she had spent seven years in Cameroon as an advisor to the translators, and she had spent 35 years in Peru before that, and her plan now that she was leaving Cameroon and they were giving a little goodbye party for her was to take a refresher course at Norman, Oklahoma, and be off to a new assignment. At the end of the first service, Rod uh, McCoy came out afterwards. He said, we met her. And she's now in her, well, what she, would she be? 81. She's 81 and she's still going strong because he's in Wycliffe and they met her. Now, they, we were at this meeting and they were discussing what to give Olive Shell as a going away present and thanks for these seven years. She wasn't there and they had different ideas and and the idea they had was one of these nice, big, fat uh, Cameroon books like I have on my coffee table at home or a plaque or something. And one of her very close friends said, now, you know, Olive always travels simply with what she can carry in her two hands. And so uh, better not give her the book. It's too heavy. And I have never forgotten 
Here's a 76-year-old woman, 35-year investment in Peru translating the Bible, seven-year investment in Cameroon, another chapter opening before her, and she has accumulated in 76 years what she can carry in two hands. That's my hero. That's my kind of person. And that's the spirit of verse 18. I'm sure Olive must have prayed it many times. Keep me alive and sustain me in the measure of health. I need to do what you're calling me to do. And so here's the way I want us to close. I want us to go back to verse 18 and stop halfway through and then finish it differently in our hearts. We do it like this. Even to old age and to gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I have... Now you finish it. And I hope you don't finish it. Play golf every day. Fish three times a week. Gotten a new RV. Head to the southwest in order to hobnob with other lazy people. Look, this is real serious. You're about to meet God any year. Do you want to accept the American message to play your way into heaven? Or to redeem the time, for the days are evil. Let me give some suggested completions to that sentence as we close. Even to old age and to gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me till every widow in the nursing home near my house has a prayer partner. O Lord, do not forsake me until at least one older person is involved in every kid's choir and every kid's club and every kid's class on Wednesday night in leadership. Oh, Lord, do not forsake me until this old dilapidated sanctuary here is repainted on the outside with the windows fixed for uh, the winter time. Because this building is going to be here another six to seven years and we want it to grace and not disgrace this neighborhood. Would somebody please take me up on that? Older people have got time to organize that. We can get it done. There's money in the bank or we'll collect money. This church is a disgrace to this neighborhood. It's going to be here for another six or seven years. If you let your house look like this church, your neighbors would have a right to go to court. Or something at least. It's not right to look this way in this neighborhood. And I expect the older people to feel that way more than I do. Because your parents taught you to clean your room and make your bed. Until I have written every missionary that we support every month for five years. Until Emmanuel Baptist Church is on its feet and strong as a sister church of Bethlehem. Until there's a strong Bible study on the floors of the Elliott Twins across the street and partners between us and them for everybody who wants it. Till abortion is stopped. Till the new sanctuary is up and paid for and full of praise. Until there's a great awakening in this land and a harvest of souls brought in to the glory of Christ. If you are willing, God will help you finish that sentence in a way that fits your arthritis, your glaucoma, your hard of hearing, your aching joints, your early weariness. God won't ask more than you can do in His strength, but we can all do something. 
Another person put this in my hand as I walked, as he walked out this morning. Dear grandpas and grandmas, we love you and want you to take care of us during mom's meetings. Every other Tuesday, 9.15 to 11.30 a.m. Call Deanna Pratt, 4274395. I just fear that the mentality somehow has been created that since there's so much going on with the young people in this church, the young people ought to be responsible for making everything go on. And I just want to reverse that. Because there is, there's a way, there are hundreds of ways for us to link arms together. Let's bow in prayer and just ask ourselves two closing questions. Number one, Father, is there any older person I have not prized the way I ought? I'm sorry. And help me this afternoon to write the letter, make the visit, make the call, or make the plan to change that. And second, have I begun to let the American way make my thinking about retirement less than Christian? Have I neglected to hear God's word about what he's calling me to, to dream God's dream about the next years, as long or as short as they may be? I think a great prayer for us to end with would be to sing that verse. We know it by heart. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. Let's stand and pray it and sing it together.